Well, with that being said, everybody, we're starting a new series today. Uh, if you are a guest, we just wrapped up uh, one of the longest series we've done. It was eight parts, and it was looking at how we can be the church Jesus is building on the earth, the church Jesus is calling us to be. We studied the first six chapters of the book of Acts, and if that sounds interesting to you and you missed it, you can go get that on our app or on our website. Uh, for those of you that simply missed any part of that, it's there as well. But today, as you can tell from behind me, we're starting a new series, and, and I really wish we had thought in advance to put up a totally different background while I was talking and doing the introduction, because that went up a few minutes ago, and all of you already looked at it, and uh, this is not a mystery. You can tell what this series is about, right? And, and so some of you are excited, maybe. Hopefully everybody is. Um, let me tell you, though, this series is actually going to have a different bent to it. It's going to have a, a different approach. And the reason is because of something I read in my personal prayer time about a year ago, is I was just reading through the Bible, and it was a story about something else, but a totally different thing caught my attention. Have you ever been reading the Bible, and uh, whatever you're reading is about this, but you notice that? Has that ever happened to anybody here? You know what I'm talking about. So let me share this with you. It's a story about Jesus and something that was happening to him, and you'll understand where this series is coming from so you know the motivation behind it. So the story goes like this. Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. They said, what a waste. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me. You will always have the poor among you. That's what got my attention. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. If you've ever read the story, if you've ever heard it preached, the point is obvious. It's about worship. It's about demonstrating. There, there's no limit to the amount of how we can worship God after what he's done for us. This woman has been set free. God has done amazing things in her life. Jesus delivered her of many demons. I mean, it's just an amazing story. And shows, she is saying, like, I will do whatever it takes to honor Jesus for who he is. It's a great story about the value of worship. But even though I'm reading this and understanding it's a great story about the value of worship, that got my attention, that one line Jesus said, the poor you will always have among you. You, you will always have the poor because y'all do know Jesus doesn't lie, right? You're with me? Jesus doesn't lie. Jesus also doesn't mislead or make statements that are irrelevant or make exaggerations. As he's talking about what's going on, he makes it very clear. You want to give this to the poor? It's not going to solve anything because you will always have the poor among you. And that made me think, what about all of the nonprofits that exist around the world? Their very mission statement is to take people out of poverty. Boy, what if they read this and found out they're set up for failure from the beginning? What about all of the churches and the outreach we do to help the poor in our cities? What about the government programs that are set up to bring people out of poverty? What about all the philanthropists that give millions, if not hundreds of millions, and in some cases, billions of dollars to help solve the problem of poverty and poor in the world? They can't succeed? Are you kidding me? With all that we do, you're telling me there is a problem among humanity we can never eradicate no matter how much we try. That's exactly what Jesus just said. And that should lead us to ask a very good question. Why? 
Why is it that no matter what we do, whether it is governments or churches or anything, that, that we will never be able to stop having poor people upon the earth? And the answer is very simple. Because there will always be people on the earth who do not manage their finances the way God teaches. There will always be people who choose their way over God's way. As a result of that, they're going to experience what it's like to be poor. And I do want to be very clear to those of you in the room listening to me today. If you're in this room, you're not among the poor. We live in one of the wealthiest nations on the earth, and the poorest of us is among the richest people alive on the earth today. However, because we live in a wealthy nation, things cost more. And so our experience can make us feel poor, right? I mean, I've been there. When my wife and I got married, we, we've been married now just over 27 years. Woo and uh, the, um, yep, listen, man, that's a big deal. But when we were just married 27 years ago, I was a first-year school teacher. Y'all know what first-year school teachers make? Nothing. They make a little bit less than 10-year school teachers. You know what 10-year school teachers? Anyway, you get the point. And my wife, she worked at Walmart. And so that was back in the day when Walmart still had a pet department. So if you needed little guppies, my wife was the one that sold you your guppies and the little gravel that goes in the bottom of the tanks. Anyway, so that was her job. And the point to that is, would you like to imagine our family income, total family income, from a first-year teacher to a part-time Walmart employee? It was pretty low. So we were broke. And we felt very poor. Truth is, relatively, it, it, it was the experience of being poor. We were living paycheck to paycheck, couldn't always pay our bills, trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we blamed our low income for our problems. But although our low income didn't help us much, that wasn't the real problem. The real problem is we weren't doing a single thing that I'm going to teach about God's word in this series. Not one of them. Not a single thing that I'm going to teach in this series were we currently doing in our lives. And so that's why there's going to be a difference from what we were experiencing 27 years ago to where we are today. And so I hope that this series will help you as much because some of you have been there and done that. Some of you are there right now. If we were to go around the room, don't raise your hands, but some of you would say, I'm strapped right now. I'm broke. I know what it feels like to be poor. Even if you say I'm an American, I still feel poor, Jimmy. I know what that is like. I take two steps, one step forward and two steps back every single time I get paid. It's like, is there ever an end to it? And I do want to tell you, and again, the whole point behind this series is that is not God's intent for you. It's not. Matter of fact, let me show you God's intent for you. Moses wrote this, says, but there will be no poor among you. That's to God's people. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you. Sounds great. Who wants that in their lives? There's been no poor among me, my children, my children's children, for the Lord will bless me. There were not enough hands. I'm just going to tell you, there should be more hands going up for that, right? Think there's a catch? A caveat? If you've read the Bible long enough, you know there's got to be some kind of a catch. So there will be no poor among us. The Lord will bless us. And then we see, if only... But there will be no poor among you if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. The context is so important here. We say we want this in our lives. I want you to understand the context. This is the book of Deuteronomy. It's the last thing that Moses is going to write and say. Here's why that is so important. Moses was the one that God called to deliver his people out of Egypt, bring them out of slavery, and take them to the promised land. God had a good intention for them in the promised land. Moses has led them through the wilderness. He's been wandering with them for 40 years. And now they're about to go into the promised land. God has told him, you're not taking them. 
You're going to hand them off to Joshua. You're going to come and be with me. So I want you to realize that what's happening in the book of Deuteronomy, most of it is Moses' final sermon. And what he is trying to impart to the people is, it's his final plea of his heart, his final passionate cry. God has a plan for you. You're supposed to be different. He brought you out of slavery. He's sending you to a land that he's prepared for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. You are going to be the most blessed people on the earth so that everybody else looks at you and they want what you have and they want to worship your God. You're going to be different. God has a plan for you, that there should be no poor among you. And that is what Moses is trying to share with the people is God has a heart, God has an intention, God has a plan. The problem is so often we look at something, well, if God intends it, it's just going to happen. God's just going to do it. Except that's not the way it works because God gives humanity a choice. God gives us a choice. He has an intention for us, but then he lets us determine, are we going to live the way he wants or are we going to live a different way? And so what we discover is that there is no part of our lives that's unimportant to God. Did you know that? There is no part of your life that's unimportant to God. That's why you can pray for the biggest things and you can pray for the smallest things. I mean, like Black Friday shopping at Walmart, you pray for a parking space. Come on, don't you know what I'm talking about, right? The smallest things because we know God cares about everything. Well, you've got to take the other side of that. If God cares about everything, then every part of our lives comes with instructions from God on how to get his intent. Every part of our lives. And so what this whole series is about is just looking at those two things. It's, Jesus says there will always be poor, but God has an intent there will be no poor among us. And so you can tell from the screen behind me, the title of the series is To Be or Not To Be Poor. It's going to be our choice. So what we're going to do for the series, there are so many things that God says in his instructions for how to manage our finances. We're going to take all of them and really wrap them up into three principles. If I taught you all of them, we would be doing finances for well over a year. We don't need to do that. You might get tired of it. But I think we can take all that God says and we can wrap it up into three principles and I'm gonna share that with you throughout this series because again, these are the three things my wife and I are not doing. And in my experience as a pastor, there's always someone who has never been taught or does not know. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. We're gonna start with the first of these three principles and this is that we honor God. And when I say it's first, it's not just because it's the one I'm going to start with. It's first because I think it's the most important, that we honor God as the Father who provides for us and blesses us. And so if you want to turn with me to our main passage today, you can. It's in the book of Malachi. Uh, if you're new to reading the Bible, you might have thought that was Malachi. It's not Malachi unless you're from New Jersey. You can keep calling it Malachi. But the rest of us, it's Malachi, and it is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you're looking for it, go to Matthew and then just flip back about two pages and you'll end up there. And we're actually going to look at a passage in chapter 3 from Malachi. Malachi is a prophet. God sent him to talk to his people. The people had wandered away from God. Happens often in the Old Testament. That's pretty much what every one of the books from one of the prophets is about. Always coming to God's people and saying, God wants you back. So they have wandered away from God in more than one way. They've actually got three very distinct ways they've stopped honoring God. And one of those we're going to look at in chapter 3, verse 6. God says, for I, the Lord, do not change. 
For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, another name for God's people, the Israelites, therefore you're not consumed. You should have been consumed. You've disobeyed enough. You deserve to be consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. But for your sake, you haven't been consumed because of who I am. I am patient. I am good. I am loving. I'm the one that had a plan for you. I'm the one that redeemed you. I'm the one that rescued you out of Egypt. I'm the one that's been doing all of this. And that is why, even though you deserved worse, you've had so much better because I'm good. I'm forgiving. I am loving. And then God says what he has said through every one of his prophets that he sends to his people. Return to me. You've turned from my ways. You've done other things. I haven't struck you down, but you're still not living in the fullness of what I've got for you. So return to me. If you return to me, I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And pause right there. If you've never heard this preached, if you've never read this, and you are thinking, God's saying, return to me? Return to me? How shall we return? What do you think the answer to that question will be? You could think it would say something like, be morally pure. Worship me with all your heart. Bow down before me. Sing new songs. I mean, like, it, all of those would be great answers to how the people of God should return to God, right? But some of you have heard this passage before, and you know God's answer is incredibly unexpected and a little strange. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts, but how shall we return? And God's answer, will man rob God? Come on, y'all, isn't that a little unexpected? It's a little strange. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Remember this whole point, God is simply saying, return to me, return to me and I'll return to you. And then he addresses tithing. You see, it doesn't make any sense until you realize the most important point going on behind the scenes here. God sees our giving as an expression of our relationship with him. Sometimes we don't. We see it a different way, but God sees our giving as an expression of our relationship with him. Matter of fact, what God sees when he looks down is that it is because of relationship that he blesses. It is because of relationship. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven. It is because he's our Father, he looks down, he sees his children. He doesn't look down and see humans floating around or walking around, whatever that is. He doesn't look down and see biological entities and, and, you know, just whomever came to be when all the cells came together. No, he looks down as a Father who loves and he sees his children. And because of that, he blesses them and he provides for them. He takes care of them. And as he's told these folks, I do better than you've deserved. You've walked away from me and yet I've been giving you a chance and I'm calling you, come back to me. God sees our giving as relationship, not as a transaction any other way. Look, let, let me give you an illustration that I think will, will help us. It'll help everybody here. Parents are going to get this the best. Children will get it because you're also a part of this equation. But just follow this. We have two days a year. One is Mother's Day. One is Father's Day. And when your kids are young, they don't know what that is. And it's the job of the parents to help them kind of figure out this is how you do it. And the best way to do it is when your spouse helps out, right? So when Mother's Day is coming, when our kids were young, I would go to our children and say, hey, y'all know Mother's Day is on Sunday. What are you going to do for mommy? What are you going to do to show her how much you love her or to thank her? And, you know, we would start asking this question when all you could do is give them crayons and construction paper. Mother's Day is coming. 
draw something, write a card. And if, if you can't spell it, ask me or whatever, you know, whatever the story. We started very young and my wife would do the same. Hey, you guys know Father's Day is coming. What are you going to do for your, for your dad? And again, it might have been just construction paper or whatever. They don't miss this. This is so important. When your kid is one, they miss Mother's Day and Father's Day because they're simply incapable. Anybody got a one-year-old ever did anything? You've got a genius, all right? I'm just going to tell you. Three-year-olds might not get much. Six-year-olds, probably not. You might get the card, but by the time they give you the little drawing on construction paper with crayon, they forget what it was for. Here, Mommy, I made you a picture. What is it for? I don't know. I was just drawing. Daddy told me to. Then by the time they're eight, they come to you and say, Happy Father's Day. Mama told me I had to say it. And we're good with all of it. Because they're immature. We don't expect anything more. But if you're a parent, by the time your kid's 16, your expectations, they're changing a little bit. By the time they're 20, by the time they're 30 and they have their own kid, you're expecting Mother's and Father's Day to get a little bit special around the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you're finally thinking they're old enough to get it. You wouldn't exist without me. You didn't do this on your own. And if I had to not change that diaper, can you imagine what you would look like right now? And the time that you threw up in the middle of the night, but I didn't leave you there. You see, the expectation changes that there would be something that says, you're right, I would have nothing apart from you. And even though we didn't agree on my curfew when I was in high school and we got in a fight over my algebra grade, you were exactly right. You did get up in the middle of the morning time and time again. And you did go through pain time and time again. And you've prayed for me and you've blessed me and you've been there for me. And so the truth is, as mothers and fathers, none of us are really looking at dollar signs. We just want to hear those words actually used, daddy. You know, the Bible even talks about how we can call God Abba, Father, it's the Aramaic word for Daddy. We just want to hear, Daddy, I love you. I don't care what the gift costs. I just want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Why do we think that our Father in heaven does not have a relationship with us and want the same kind of Daddy expressed back to him? That's why when they've, they've gone from him and they've gone other ways and he says, return to me, he says, then start by just honoring me as Daddy. Figure out you've been blessed upon the earth and it's not because you're the best human. It's because you're my children. And so what you do in return is your acknowledgement that I'm your daddy. It's purely relationship. The problem for us today is we've missed that. And we make tithing, especially in giving and church, something that we think is a rule for Christians who go to church. It's about church attendance. Many times I talk to people and they think that if they go to church, they have to tithe. If they skip a week, then they don't. Or if they skip altogether. I actually had friends of ours that were in Grace Life for a long time early on, and then they just kind of disappeared at one point. We'd see them in Target. Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, Pastor, good to see you. And then they came back a few years later, and they told us. Actually, I was surprised. They were willing to say the reason we left is because my husband got a new job and a promotion and we were making a lot more money and we just didn't want to have to tithe. And I said, but did you stop believing in God? So while you were gone, you, you didn't think you needed to have a relationship with God that 
You see, we miss that. Let me tell you a cool story on the other side. Let's flip that around. I have a friend of mine that went out to start a church, plant a brand new church, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, quite a few years ago. And he told me this incredible story because see, when you go out to start a church, it's, it's the biggest faith step a pastor will ever take. Because you are quitting a job, you're leaving your job as a church staff where your kids eat and you can plan on vacation, and you're gonna go start a brand new church. And you have no money. And so it's, it's gonna depend upon you actually being good at your job. You gotta pastor people, you gotta preach well, and then you hope that God blesses you with a church and your kids finally get to start eating again. And he had a man who would come and visit his church. I started visiting pretty regularly. And after a couple of months, this man came up to him he had an envelope in his hand and he said, Pastor, I wanted to let you know I've finally found the church I've been looking for. Turns out this man was a doctor. He was well off. Single man had been looking for a church for several years. He just hadn't found the church that he felt that God was calling him to. He'd visit a different church every week. But he recognized that tithing was about his relationship with God, not his transaction with his church. Your church is just where you make that offering to God. And so he handed my friend, a check, and he says, I have finally found my church, so here's my tithe I've been saving. He's been putting it in a savings account every week or month whenever he got paid. And my friend looked inside the envelope, and it was a check for $86,000. You see, that's the point. I don't know about you. It would start as a good idea if I wanted, if I thought I'd go, well, that's a good idea. I'm going to set a savings account aside, and that's where I'm going to put my tithe. But if one day I woke up and there's $86,000 in there, I'm going to be thinking Porsche dealership. I don't, I'm just going to, I'm going to be struggling to hand that to a pastor. But this man got it. It was about relationship. It was about saying, happy Father's Day. You've been good to me. You're my daddy. I've got no other. You alone provide for me. So, the question is, why did God use such strong words? So they're not honoring him as daddy. Okay, but he didn't say that. That was part of it, but his actual words were, you are robbing me. Why does God go as far as to say, you're actually robbing me? And it's because of what he had already taught them. They knew that every tithe of the land is the Lord's. Every tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And I've underlined three words there that you need to understand to get this. The first one is the word tithe. We've been using it a few times in this message. Maybe some of you have heard it before. If you're new to church, maybe you've never heard it because you only hear it in two places, in church or with your Jewish friends. And if you have no Jewish friends, you have to go to church to hear it. Why? Because it's a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word that actually means a number, one-tenth. It's actually a fraction. Tithe is one-tenth. So, God says, every one-tenth of whatever you get is the Lord's. Now, the second word we're gonna look at is that L-O-R-D in all capital letters. The word Lord in English means master. The word Lord in normal letters in the Bible means master. But the word Lord in all capital letters in the Bible does not. It actually is just how we translate God's name, Yahweh. Anytime you see L-O-R-D in all capital letters in your Bible, you can substitute Yahweh in that place. It is God's name that he gave to his people. In other words, he says, every tithe, every one-tenth of all that you get, it's Yahweh's. It's 
got his name on it. It's mine. Think about this. At your bank, your name is on your account. I, at least I hope. And if not, get a new bank tomorrow. But let's just go ahead and assume your name is on your account at your bank. That is so that when someone else comes into the bank and says, I would like some money, they know not to give them yours. It's got your name on it. And God says the tithe, one-tenth of everything you get, my name is on it. Which leads to the third word. It is holy. Holy simply means set apart. One-tenth of all you get has my name on it, so it is set apart. It is over here. Nine-tenths belong to you. One-tenth has my name on it. It's holy to the Lord. So, we see the problem. They have stopped honoring Daddy as the one who provides for them. What is God's response? It's the next sentence. And it's tough. God looks at him and says, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me. Wow, sounds kind of mean. You are cursed with a curse. Again, words matter here. We've heard the word blessing before, and we're going to see that in the next sentence, so if you just hold on. But a blessing is a positive reward that comes with doing what we're supposed to do. A positive reward because we do what we're supposed to do. Think of it again, a parent and a child. The child's job is to clean their room, and the positive reward for cleaning their room on time is they get an allowance. It's very simple. That's the blessing. But this word cursing, we struggle with this word because I don't know about you, but when I think of the word curse, the first thing that comes to mind is a witch and a spell and Halloween, a broom and a big black pot. Come on, somebody with me. I mean, all those images come to mind. And we think evil. We think to ourselves, how can a holy God in heaven curse us? He says you're cursed with a curse. In this context, what it really is talking about, curse is just a negative consequence for not doing what we're supposed to do. A negative consequence for doing for not doing what we're supposed to do. So again, parent, child, the, the parent goes and looks at the room. The child did not clean the room. The curse is they don't get their allowance. The negative consequence is they don't get their allowance. Now, this is really, really important for us to understand about God. Most of God's consequences and God's blessings are predetermined. You see, when we disobey, God doesn't call a meeting in heaven to go, what do you think we should do? Now, you and I do that when our children disobey, right? Spouses, we, we have to get together with our spouses and go, man, our kids, they just won't do what we ask. What should we do? Uh, let's take away their iPad. Uh, if we take away their iPad, we'll have to pay attention to them and spend time with them and play with them. <laughs> no, let's, let's just have them clean our bathroom so we don't have to do it. Yes, that's exactly what we should do. That's a good consequence. My wife and I have never had a conversation that went exactly like that. See, but for God, it's predetermined, almost always. And let me explain that. God has a blessing already predetermined. It is his intent that we be blessed. It is his intent there be no poor among us. The consequence is also predetermined. Most every time in life, when we look at God and say, we're not gonna do it your way, he says, okay, then I'm gonna let you have it the other way. If you don't want it my way, you get it the other way. What is the other way? God's way or the devil's way. Jesus explained that to us. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have a different plan. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God has an intent to bless us. The enemy has an intent to rob us. And so what God has told his people, I wanted to bless you, but you robbed from me. And so if you're going to rob from me, I'm going to remove my hand of blessing and protection, and you are going to get robbed from 
and then hopefully you will understand my way is better. Don't miss the whole point. What did God start with? Return to me. Come back to me. My way is better. I have a better plan. If you don't think it's better, I'm going to let you experience what you want so that you can figure out what you want is not as good as what I have planned for you because I am a good, loving father. I've got a good plan. But the only way you're going to realize this is a better plan is to let you have your way, the other way. It's meant to cause us to see God as better. All right? We see the problem. They're not honoring God with the tithe. We see the response, and that is God says, okay, I'm just going to let you have it your way. Now the enemy is going to come, and he's going to rob from you. So what is the solution? Well, good news is God tells them that. In verse 10, if you're following along, he says, bring the full tithe, again, bring the full one-tenth of all that you get into the storehouse, and there's a reason for it, that there may be food in my house. You see, when we see the words, my house, in Scripture, it's referring to the place where the people of God identify with their God on the earth, where people know that God is worshipped. If they want to learn something about that God, that's where they go. In these cultures, in this part of the world at this time, there would be temples dedicated to different gods. And if people said, I want to, I want to know more about Artemis, they would go to this temple and, and learn about or, or worship her. And so the place where God is worshipped, the temple where they know that you can go and you can learn about Yahweh, the God who loves his people, the God who blesses his people. And in his place, in his house, there should be food. It includes spiritual food like teaching or counsel or prayer. And those still exist today. Could be natural food like resources for when you're in need or funds for outreach to go and make God famous upon the earth. And I want you to know in case you're new to Grace Life, Grace Life tithes as well. The first one-tenth of everything that is ever given here, Monday morning our accountant slides it into missions funds that are all dedicated. We can't use it for us. Just like when God says it's set apart as holy, it's set apart. It is no longer for us to get salaries or lights or air conditioning or anything you want. It's, it's not for you and me. It is to have food to this world to represent the name of Jesus. And the truth that you and I need to recognize, if there's going to be food in God's house, remember that was the point, bring it into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house. If there's going to be food in God's house, God's people have to put it there. If there's going to be food in God's house, God's people have to put it there. I promise you, an atheist has never awakened a single morning with an anxiety attack going, oh my gosh, the churches down the street may close their doors. They'll stop preaching things I don't believe in and counsel people to do things I don't think. no. I can't let that happen. I must give them money. <laughs> Never happened. If there's going to be food in God's house, God's people have to put it there. Okay, so where are we? We see the problem, and we saw God's response to the problem, and now we see the solution. And do you realize God could have stopped right there? This is what you should do. Bring the full tithe into my house so that there's food in my house, and we'll call it all good. But the coolest part of all of this is that he didn't stop there. That should have been enough. Do what God intends. God will do what he intends. But he actually goes on to make a promise. And this is the most important thing I want you to see today. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby test me. Test me, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And it's a two-part promise. The first part, see if I won't pour down a blessing until there's no more need. You will not have lack. There will be no poor among you. It's the first part of the promise. 
And you know how he can make the first part of the promise? Because of the second part. I will rebuke the devourer for you. The one who comes to steal, the one who comes to destroy, no, he's going to have to go through me to get to you if you honor me as your daddy. If you honor me, I'm going to stand between you. And God makes this two-part promise. You will be blessed until there is no lack, and I will stand in between you and the one who comes to steal. Look, here's the truth. If you've paid attention in our world today, this, I think this message is incredibly timely and relevant. Our world is filled with turmoil right now. Economic instability is one of the biggest topics. If you read the news, you see it article after article every day. There's a war taking place in our world that has a very important religious backing to it. And because of that, this war could expand based upon how different countries have different beliefs towards the people of God. It could get very interesting. This war is already affecting our world, and if it gets bigger, it's going to affect our economy even greater. And so because of this, I get asked every week, somebody coming to me and going, Pastor, what should we do? How do we know? Should we buy gold? Do you buy gold? Or what are you doing with your investments? What are you doing with your 401k? Should we cash it all out? <laughs> The first thing I think is, if any of you people ever saw my 401k, I am the last person you would come to for advice. But here's what you got to know. I, I'm a pastor. I'm not a prophet. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen in Israel and Gaza and the Middle East. And I don't know what's going to happen to the economy because of it. And I'm not a financial guru either. I'm a pastor. So I'm going to tell you what I do know as a pastor. The blessing of God is the only way to be above the circumstances of this world. It's the only way. I don't know what the world holds. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. I don't know what's happening, but I do know no matter what happens, the blessing of God is the only way to be above the circumstances of this world. So that brings us to the whole point for us today. Do you want that blessing of God in your life? If you do, you're gonna need to answer two questions in your own heart. We'll give you two questions there for you. Every person's going to have to answer them on their own at one point in their lives. It's time for you to decide if now is the time for you. The first question is this. Do you believe? doesn't matter what the person beside you believes. It only matters what you believe. Do you believe that God is your provider and the source of all blessings? And the reason I explain that is because I think it's an honest struggle we all have at some point in our lives. We look around and we say things like, but I work hard. I work harder than that guy. That's why I got the promotion. That's why I get paid more. I did this. And that's got some truth to it. We look around and we say things like, but I do a really hard job. It is more stressful. It is more difficult. It comes with greater risk and I have more responsibility. That's why they pay me more than that person. I do this. And there is some truth to that. We say things like, I went to college and I worked hard. I studied when my friends were playing basketball. I passed the exams. I got advanced degrees. I now have certifications. I get paid more because I did that. And there is some truth to that. Don't let that be the only truth. Because God warns us, beware. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You see, the truth is, if you do one of those jobs that's harder and more difficult and you get paid more for it, God gave you the intelligence to do it. If you show up for any job, God gave you the health. If you have a job, God gave you the opportunity. We could just keep going. You've got to decide 
Do you believe that everything is because God has been a good daddy in heaven to you? And if you answer with yes, then you have to answer the second question in your heart. Will you honor God with his tithe? And I chose the word his instead of the because God said it was his. And we have to decide if we're going to do that. Now, I'm going to leave you with just, if I could, one thing to help uh, maybe respond to this. Let me, let me put it that way. There's a, always a debate about tithing. And there's always someone who wants to say, well, you know, that was just for Jewish people long ago. And I'll point out that Jesus even said, yes, you should tithe. And then they point out to me, but Jesus was talking to Jewish people long ago. And, and so there's always this great debate. Is tithing a rule for Christians today? Or was it just a rule for old people long ago in the Jewish world, Jewish people long ago? And my encouragement to you is, it doesn't help if you get lost in that debate. There is a debate. I'd be willing to answer it for you. It'll take at least another hour or two of your time, depending on how much you want to argue, but it can be answered, and there are good answers to it. I don't have time for that, so I'm going to try to make sure you don't miss the point by getting lost in the debate. Almost everything in here was written to a Jewish person long ago. If we start throwing out parts of it because it was originally expressed to a Jewish person long ago, we will have almost nothing left. We will lose some things that we love and pray. You no longer get to have someone look at you and say, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you because that was said to Jewish people long ago. You no longer get to pray over your life for I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for harm because that promise was made to Jewish people long ago. And it was to Jewish people long ago, God says, you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not murder. Do you think God cares if you lie, steal, or murder today just because you're not a Jewish person from long ago? Look, there's a debate, and I'll have that debate with you over some good chocolate if you bring it. <laughs> but don't miss the point. God made a promise. It's about the promise. And God makes this promise only one time in all of Scripture to people for doing one and only one thing. Bring the full tithe to my house. Honor me as your Father in heaven. And here's my promise to you. See if I will not pour down a blessing until there is no more need. And I will stand between you and the devil. You can have a debate or you can have the promise of God in your life. The choice is yours. And so, we want to help you if you're ready to take this step. I don't know about you, but the idea of giving God a full one-tenth, if you've never done that, that sounds crazy. Sounds hard. When my wife and I were just newly married and had the jobs I told you about, and our preacher, for the first time, preached on tithing, I'd never heard it. And I thought, one-tenth? You're kidding, right? You know what I make as a school teacher? One-tenth? I don't have one-tenth. I can't afford to do it. And so many people will say, I can't afford to do it. Well, we want to help you do what God said. God said, test me. See if I won't do what I said. So as you can see on the screen behind me, it's called the 90-Day Tithing Challenge. You can text 90-Day to that number on the screen, or you can hit that QR code if you're watching this message later, or you just don't get that right now. And a week from now, you say, I think I should do that. It's online, and it's on our app as well. Let me explain what it is. A little science behind the whole 90-Day thing. 
But if you decide you want to test God for 90 days, you sign up and you put a date. And for 90 days from that date, you give God the first one-tenth of everything that he gives to you. And then you see if he shows up and fulfills his word. Let me tell you what we'll be doing in the meantime. We will be praying for you. We have a team that prays for those people because we have people who sign up all the time. We've got people who will pray for you every single day by name. And then each week you will get something from me. It'll be an email with a short little video or just a little word just reminding you of some things that God has planned for your life. Just encourage you in your faith along the way. But if you get to the end of those 90 days and you feel God did not do what he said, we give you every penny back. Because we want to help you take this step towards God. God doesn't say test your church. He says test him. This is between you and him. And so if you want a risk-free chance to take this step of faith, sign up for the 90-day tithing challenge. See if God will do what he promised to do. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. What do you think a video is worth? We'd like to share a couple of stories of people who have just done this. If you would, turn your attention to the screen. My name is Shanita Brayboy, and I've been attending Grace Life since December of 2022. I am Melinda Taylor, and I have been coming to Grace Life for almost three years. My story with tithing is that it was always a stressful subject for me. Growing up, my father always said that tithing was something that was required of those who needed to pay their way into heaven. My original outlook on tithing, to me, it was something that I knew you should do as a Christian because I knew that your money should be put first. I knew that's something that I'm supposed to do, but I never acted on it. I would start, and then I would stop. I would start, and then I would stop. A few years ago, my husband and I went to another church where my husband said, we need to start tithing here. And I was like, mm, not happening. Fast forward, we start coming to Grace Life. And again, my husband says, we need to start tithing. I finally gave in when I felt that God was just like, why are you not trusting me with your money? Which was very new to me as a newer Christian, but it was the first time I really felt God was pressing on me to tell him, it's okay, let it go, I got this. I'm in the process of going through a separation, so my finances are different. I've never had to be responsible for a household alone. I knew that giving 10% off the top would leave me in the negative to where there's something that I'm not gonna be able to afford, but I didn't. And through that, God has actually blessed me. It actually seems as if I have more money than what I do have, but I still get paid the same amount. God blessed me with a brand new car that I did not think I would be able to afford and I just truly see the blessings that he's providing. After the 90 days, we continue to tithe. We haven't stopped yet, and the blessings haven't stopped either. We've gone through many seasons, but financially, we have not hurt at all. I feel that as long as we give to God first, he's gonna give back to us because it's his money and he's allowing us to have the other 90%. And I absolutely can't say thank you enough to God for allowing us to have that. So it really impacted my closeness with him to really put him first and ask him for things that I need. Coming here and going through the challenge really showed me that this is what is important and it can be done. You just have to have faith and truly trust God.
hope that'll encourage your faith for those of you that uh, want to take this step. God's intent is very clear, that there shall be no poor among his people. To be or not to be poor, well, that's going to depend upon us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are so good, that even when we've turned away, we've walked our own way, we've gotten distracted by other things. Just like you told your people long ago in what we read today, you're merciful, you're good, you're patient, and you give us a chance to always return. God, today we just confess to you that we live in a world that is so materialistic. We're constantly surrounded by things that say money will change your life and make it better. I think it's part of the temptation to keep us from giving you any part of it. So God, we ask you, would you come and work in our hearts because that's where the problem starts. Would you come and help us not be so attracted to the things of the world and instead reveal our relationship with you to you? Because that's what we want to do, God. We want to show you, God, you are a daddy in heaven. We love you and we thank you and we honor you for that. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. Yes, God cares about your finances, but I think God cares so much more about your soul. I think he cares about your eternity. That's why when every one of us had done something that separated us from God, the Bible calls it sin, God said, I'm not going to leave you there. No, he sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life upon the earth so that when Jesus was crucified as an innocent man, when his blood was shed and when his body was broken, it paid the penalty for sin, but since he had none of his own, it paid for yours and mine. And then by the same power that raised him from the dead, you and I can be raised to eternal life. We call this the free gift of salvation, but just like any gift, it has to be received. And if you've never received this gift of what Jesus did for you on the cross, I wanna help you do this right now, wherever you are, would you simply pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?